Thanks for joining Impact Boom. On this episode... It was inevitable that then my attentions continued to be looking at inequities and economics, and that's what got me into social enterprises and co-ops. I've been active in co-ops since the 90s, 1990s, and and a lot of people don't think of not-for-profits as social enterprises, but I think that's misunderstood and misplaced. Welcome to impactboom.org. We search the globe to find the people, stories, ideas, and inspiration to help you create maximum positive impact. Each week, Impact Boom brings you thought-provoking interviews with world-leading practitioners passionate about creating positive social change. These designers, social entrepreneurs, educators, innovators, thinkers, and doers share their projects, initiatives, thoughts, and insights on creating a better world. You can find all the stories, links, and other great content at impactboom.org. Follow us on Facebook or Twitter for the latest updates, or subscribe to the newsletter or on iTunes. Thanks for listening to episode 278 of Impact Boom. My name's Indio Miles, and I'm passionate about communicating the initiatives and enterprises causing sustainable and positive change globally. Today, we're speaking with Moira Weir. Moira has worked from the kitchen table as a direct service social worker through to the cabinet table as a chief of staff to a minister. She has extensive strategic and operational experience in the not-for-profit sector and in government at state, regional, national and international levels. Moira received an Australian honour in 2019 for her significant service to the community of South Australia. She is a director of Ethical Fields, non-executive director for Social Impact Investment Network of South Australia, and is a global facilitator at CEO. Moira is the founder of Chook South Australia, Henhouse Co-op, and a co-founder of Collab for Good. She is a ministerial appointment to the Entrepreneurship Advisory Board in South Australia. Moira lives with gratitude on Ghana country and the Flurio. Peninsula, Widawali, marked on the maps as Selix Beach. Moira, thank you very much for joining us today. Thanks, Indio. It's really lovely to be here with Impact Boom. <laughs> it's great to have you here. And could you please start by sharing a bit about your background and what led to your work in social enterprise and cooperatives? Great question. Yeah, I've got to go back a bit. <laughs> I started my professional life as a social worker. And, you know, when back, way back in the days when I was studying that, I built that on a Bachelor of Arts, which I'd majored in psychology and politics. So when I did social work, I was really interested in the various roles of being a social worker, you know, facilitator, enabling, educator, a mediator, a counsellor. And I've always felt that those roles have a very critical kind of dual focus, assisting and improving conditions and well-beings for humans and also addressing the structural issues that hold inequity and injustice in place, so very much around systems change. So it was pretty inevitable that if I took that seriously as a profession that I was always going to be ending up asking questions about, you know, what's not working for who, why does that happen? Who's missing? And the other questions that have continued to hold me <laughs> in this lifetime trajectory to work out what things I can get around or do workarounds. But mostly I don't want to fix things that aren't working. I'm much more mm. interested these yeah. days in creating new systems, things that will work for those people who are most affected by it and not be that white saviour or mother knows best mentality, but actually 
directly engaging with the issues that impact on all of us. So that's really the kind of inevitability of that as social work. I had a strong predisposition to be addressing, you know, gender, race and class issues. Mm. And that, that led me to a, more of a political activity over the years. And some of those things took me to domestic violence, the anti-apartheid movement, land rights, racism. And so I got involved in party politics and held roles in the Australian Labor Party, particularly around women and policies. So Labor women and at state national levels with state platform committees, right, at the, right up to the turn of the century, this century. And that's how I ended up working for a member of parliament and for a minister for a few years. Mm-hmm. And I found that working at those policy levels really fabulous. I've always loved work making change strategically. And sometimes you can do one small thing, well, it seems like it's a small thing, and it can change people's lives forever. And that gen- that's when generational change becomes possible. So some of the things I was involved with was raising the school leaving age here in South Australia, changing laws around transport and drink driving and drug driving and stuff like that, which really does mean that there's complete changes in the way whole communities can continue to live and do well together. So, yeah, that's the kind of things that got me into those places. And it was inevitable that then my attentions continued to be looking at inequities and economics. And that's what got me into social enterprises and co-ops. I've been active in co-ops since the 90s, 1990s. And and a lot of people don't think of not-for-profits as social enterprises, but I think that's misunderstood and misplaced. I led Volunteering South Australia and Northern Territory for about five years and grew that organisation to around 3,000 volunteer-involving organisations. So that really kept me quite close to those people who are gifting their time and talents and energy to make change. And often we don't value those bits that don't have a dollar value in the economy, but in fact, we get put so much effort into volunteers who are helping at every level, whether they're in emergency services or helping in the environment. And then there's all the unpaid family carers as well, who often don't get counted in the economy. But without all of those contributions, we don't have a society to live in. Very interesting career that you've had there, Moira. And you've worked in a huge amount of different sectors across government and non-profits. So really, really interesting. And you're currently a cultivator at Ethical Fields. And could you please tell us a bit more about Ethical Fields? What is their core mission and their methods of generating a sustainable impact? Yeah, Ethical Fields is a great bunch of people. We are a company in terms of our legal structure, but we behave as a co-op. And so we share cooperative values and principles and we work to be generative in our own work by supporting one another. Our main things are to try and support regenerative, distributive and local development. And so we've got quite a focus in the regions around Australia, so in the Hunter and Gippsland, where I am here on the Flurio in South Australia and northern New South Wales in the Riverland. And so a lot of our projects that we get pulled into are helping those communities and industries to work together to see how they can be more regenerative in making the changes they want to do that makes a bit more equal. So one of our little slogans we have to ourselves is involving stakeholders with an actual state. And this can take the form of providing research and direct service around training. So we train quite a lot of practitioners who want to learn how to build coalitions, learn about their capital stack and how they can unleash and release resources they might already have in their community and redeploy them for a much more 
regenerative future. And one of the big initiatives that's come out of ethical fields in this last year has been a regenerative farmers mutual. And so a couple of the team are working hard on that. We don't see them much at the moment because they're trying to make that happen, which will be farmers basically being paid to look after the land and not necessarily, and you know, have more mixed farming and not necessarily have everything under uh, cultivation so that they can help preserve the environment as well. Very, very interesting. And thank you there for telling us a bit more about ethical fields. I found that very interesting and I'm sure our audience would have as well. So Mora, you were talking a bit before about your role that you play in government, whether that was your involvement in with the ministers currently or in the past with Labor. So could you please explain what roles do you see government bodies playing in supporting the social impact sector now? Are there any further ways that these bodies can provide assistance to local enterprises? Well, I think government government is one part of the system. I get a bit frustrated when people go, oh, government should do this or government should do that. Well, mm. governments get elected by people and legislation is often the last thing that happens. It's not the first thing that happens. And essentially governments, parliaments are legislative chambers. You know, that's what they do. They make the law. And the law is a way of codifying how we want to see the world organised. So I think government's job is also to support creating the conditions that will support leaders and and develop those emerging pathways and not just be at the end, at the legislation end. But they do have an important role for legislation and regulation. And with that is measurement (laughs) and how things get measured and valued in our economy or in our systems. Mm. In the impact investing space, some of the things I would love to see more governments doing is creating fund structures where we might have more cycling through, like no interest loans for social enterprises. There are quite a lot of those models in other parts of the world. Canada's just doing a massive piece around that at the moment and the Canadian Development Bank historically over the last sort of decade have done a number of things with funds for like First Nations, for female founders or people perhaps underserved communities as well. And governments have a really important role as customers. So procurement policies are fabulous and quick and easy and very effective mechanism to shift to some of the conditions in entire industries and sectors. And we've seen this writ large in supply nation and Aboriginal and First Nations businesses. And I'd like to see more and more of that for social enterprises as well and for impact enterprises. So procurement's a really big piece, whether the government is a customer themselves or if they are grant makers, building that into their grant conditions or if they're giving tenders out, that they build it into their tendering. So in South Australia, the Department of Transport have um, built social procurement into their tendering processes. And, you know, I'm a big fan of that being a really good strategy. A few really interesting points that you just made there, Moira. Thank you very much for sharing those. So just absolutely invaluable to hear kind of about that view of the sector. And as you said, that the government shouldn't be just relied on to do everything. They just play a role within that ecosystem. And that is so, so important. And you were also an activator at CEO. This was something that we covered in your bio at the beginning. And at CEO, it's where you see female founders at different stages of their entrepreneurial journeys So where have you observed opportunities that exist to better support female founders? 
Yeah, well, there's a lot. <laughs> there's a lot of things we can do and more, more than we realise, I think. So one of the things I keep reminding people about is that if you want to support female founders, one of the things you can do in your everyday life is be a customer of them. Hmm. So if you've got superannuation, look at Verve Super. If you're wanting to buy things at the you know, for your school or for the, you know, for period products in your school, buy them from Taboo. If mm. you're, you know, to, to address period poverty, if you're interested in actually holding an event, whether it's a school social or a big food award ceremony, you know, go to the social enterprise that can help you with that. So in South Australia, that'd be go-go events. So I think, yeah. first of all, yeah. think of yourself as a customer and then actually proactively make those choices about those businesses who are female founded. That's a really simple thing to do. Mm. The next thing is there are a few methods that are already out there, like the Grameen Bank have just announced yeah. microcredit yeah. for female founders in, in Australia for micro enterprises. I think wow. that's yeah, the, the Canadian example I gave you before, I'd like to see more state and federal governments having specific funding arrangements while we do have a federal funded program called boosting female founders it's pretty limited and it's multiple over subscription for just can't keep up with the demand so yeah we need a few more of those things and then closer to home for me the hen house co-op that i founded we're looking at creating a online digital platform as a co-op for women who are in small businesses or micro businesses that can be selling their products and services online to an environment to other customers who might want to buy from those people. So we all know about Patreon. So this is kind of be like a Matreon. <laughs> but we're, oh, um, wow. we're, calling, we're calling that flock. So we're just about to go into the MVP stage for that. And I'm looking forward to sharing that with people. Yeah, so I think there's some tools, there's some instruments, but, you know, we do hold some of that power in our everyday consumer hands and we don't need to leave it to others. We can do things ourselves. Ground up support. I love that idea, Moira. Thank you very much for sharing that. It's always important to remember. And it's something that, as you said, I think people forget quite often. And Moira, we're moving into the end of our interview. So I've just got two questions left. So the first one is, what inspiring projects or initiatives have you come across recently, which are creating a positive social change? I mean, I, I'd rather, I will say something about some projects and initiatives, but I really think it's about movements. Okay. It's about where we have a whole kind of culture and approach as to how to solve some of these problems and you know the movements that have really inspired me in recent years have been you know the me too movement i think that's completely disrupting patriarchy black lives matter is definitely disrupting racism mm. and here in australia the uluru statement from the heart with those principles of voice uh, truth telling and treaty is really disrupting colonialism and i think those things are really important and we don't, Greta Thunberg's schools, climate school strike movement is another one with the planet. So when people can come together across time and cultures and, you know, be able to act together, you can get really big systems change and big social change. And in fact, really, that's the only time those things actually work. So we can, we might be interested in supporting projects and initiatives, but they themselves are, have to be part of something bigger if you want the social change to actually happen. In CEO, we talk about it as working on the world's to-do list. Mm. So they're the SDGs, the Sustainable Development Goals. 
Yeah. And then locally, you know, the hen houses I've referred to and CoLab for Good, my co-founder's Amy Orange, who's been a past impact boom interviewee. Mm, and Sarah yes. Gunn. Yeah. <laughs> we uh, you know, we're really looking at how we can do those things as an intermediary for social enterprises and how we can support those movements and also orientate social enterprises to seeing their place in impact and their place in the systems change. So we've got an event coming up in November called Impact Chains, which we hope will make some of those initiatives and projects visible, but within a bigger context. A few really interesting things that you mentioned there, those movements and enterprises, really, really fabulous. And it's great to be sharing those with the audience. And to finish off, Moira, what books or resources would you recommend to our listeners? <laughs> I love this question. I like poetry and songs, and I think yeah. that I would really encourage people to find those things for themselves that they love. Mm. For my, for me, my go-tos in my, my <laughs> white Celtic tradition, I like David White and John O'Donoghue. I'm mm. really influenced by Audre Lorde's work. Sister Outsider, I think, is a everyone should read. Uh, Margaret Wheatley's books, and particularly um, her, one of her most recent ones, Who We Choose to Be, I think is worth reading. And in the economic space, for those of you who are you know, born only in this century, <laughs> I suggest you look at Schumacher's Small is Beautiful yeah. and Charles yeah. Einstein's book, Sacred Economics, is very challenging. And in the Indigenous space, I really recommend people read Tyson Yunkerporter's book, Sand Talk, and Bruce Pascoe's Dark Emu. Mm. And if you want to tap into a female, a feminine side of that, Robin Wall Kimmerer's book, Braiding Sweetgrass, I think is great. And you can't go wrong with Ali Cobby Eckerman as a poet, an Australian poet. Her voice is haunting and and dangerous. <laughs> yeah, really beautiful recommendations. And across a bunch of different spaces as well of social change, it's, yeah, wonderful recommendations. And all of those enterprises, movements, books and resources that you just recommended, they'll all be linked at the end of the article. So once our listeners have either listened to the podcast or read through the transcript, they'll be more than welcome to click on through to all of those recommendations and read to their heart's desire. So thank you very much for all of those recommendations, Moira. And that actually brings us, unfortunately for me, it brings us to the end of our interview. And I was having such a wonderful time talking to you and you sharing your generous insights and time. I just really want to thank you for doing that today. And I just want to wish you all the best in the future with all of the projects you're involved in and just in general, your work in the sector. Thanks, Indio, and thanks everyone at Impact Boom for this opportunity to share some of my thinking. Thanks for listening to Impact Boom. You'll find links to the initiatives, people and resources mentioned in this podcast on impactboom.org. Please leave your comments below and remember, we'll be publishing fresh inspiration and insights to help you create positive impact every week on the website, Facebook page and Twitter.